everybody with an interest in MASH, or more broadly, steatotic liver disease, surfs up. Season 4, episode 48 of Surfing the MASH Tsunami, our individual interview portion of our liver meeting and meeting coverage, starts now. Today on Surfing the MASH Tsunami. I really enjoy the interactions and the discussions with people, with the key opinion leaders, with the other patient advocates that are there, and to really get a pulse on what's happening in the real world. A lot of people are working really hard to broaden the scope of what the society thinks about this disease. I think it's really helpful. This weekend's Liver Meeting 2023, Surfing the MASH Tsunami has interviewed some of our guest opinion leaders on what they found most exciting about the program. Today, Roger Green speaks with patient advocate and Fatty Liver Alliance founder and President Mike Buttell about presentations he is giving in Boston and other topics at the meeting he found valuable. Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the podcast now officially known as Surfing the Mash Tsunami. Our coverage of the Liver Meeting 2023 starts with individual interviews with some of our friends who participated in the event. Over the weekend, we will release our first group wrap-up with another release planned for early next week. Our third interview is with our good friend Mike Patel, patient advocate and founder and president of the Fatty Liver Alliance based in Toronto, and also the head of the Liver Action Network affiliated with Global Liver Institute. Mike and I discussed the event in general and what about it he found most interesting. Mike is really a, I think of him as the happy warrior of patient advocacy. Always upbeat, always smiling, always present. Goes to lots of sessions, sits in the front row, pays attention, and brings his perspective both as patient, as a family member, caretaker of patients, and as a guy with a career as a pharmaceutical sales and marketing executive to everything he does. His point of view is really interesting and his energy is really infectious, so enjoy. So in our series of week after individual interviews, we've had one session with medical key opinion leader, Zomer Yanasi, one with a vendor and hepatologist with really interesting analytical programs, Tim Jobson of Predictive Health Intelligence. And now to hit the Holy Trinity, we have our patient advocate with us, Mike Patel from Fatty Liver Alliance, who was part of our run-up to the conference as well. Mike, how are you doing this afternoon? Great. Thank you again for having me and spending time with me at TLM 23. Somehow we missed a trick. We did not get to record our regular uh, video for you to post. Yeah. And my hair even stayed in place because we were indoors, so it might have been better than what we did in Vienna. And I had a haircut, so that would have really been a good contrast. Right? Oh, you, you, <laughs> thanks. That's nice yeah. of you to say. I can't. What I really <laughs> want to say, I can't say because it's a podcast. But yeah, we did spend a lot of time together, and we agreed it was really an interesting conference. In some ways, I love your overall impressions. What did you think worked really well there? What could have worked better? What did you like best about it? I think that the organizers did not anticipate the level of interest in some of the topics. There was one I, I wanted to get into, and I didn't. I'll have to watch it on the reruns, but like AI, as an example, uh, that room 207 was the overflow room, I think, and it was overflowed. So the overflow room was overflowed. Somebody could have done better anticipating the interest there. But a lot of the sessions were were really full. Even the lunch sessions where people had to pay, as you know, were very active and very full. So I think all in, it was a conference of great interest to more people than ever. So Mike Charlton made the comment to me that this was the first conference he'd been at that really had a pre-pandemic feel to it in terms of the number of attendees 
and the level of engagement. And virtually nobody was wearing a mask. But I think that's right. I, I said to Mike, I felt that way in Vienna also. But Vienna felt pre-pandemic to me in terms of the number of people and level of engagement. That was about 7,500 people. This was about 7,500 people, right? They had 7,500 people in attendance and another 800 uh, online. That's yeah, I'm, I'm talking about live. Uh, 7,500 people at the event. I think that's what they had in Vienna also, about 7,500 at the event, if I remember correctly. One thing they might have done better was the remote, was the virtual. And I think you're right. They might have done better on space planning. What did you like about the program? Were there specific presentations or tracks or things you thought were valuable? Well, I, I'm going to start with the personal piece first because it's what I led with last time we had a chat about this. Just the way I'm wired, I really enjoy the interactions and the discussions with people, with the key opinion leaders, with the other patient advocates that are there. And to really get a pulse on what's happening in the real world, you do have that presentation science piece and then the people piece. And because they had quite a lot of presentation streaming time with even the patient uh, voice and the patient advocacy, it was really interesting to be able to, you know, pop in and out of those as well and see that perspective. I, I'm just a people guy. I'm in my home element on those things and I, you know it and I really, really love it. And so the you science look, is, is You look like important. a former pharma sales guy who spent 30 years doing conferences from all <laughs> kinds of perspectives. By the way, for those who don't know, Mike I, is a former pharma sales guy who spent 30 years attending. Yeah. You, you, look, you look completely at home there. You look as, you look as uh, at home as anybody yeah. I know. I was the rep like you said, it was a few years ago, who would, when other reps were still standing at the booth lunch or during the meetings and visiting with each other, whatever, I was at the sessions, usually sitting near the front and I would go talk to the presenters after and ask questions and stuff. So these are some of the same people that I knew, like Jay Hoofnagel was standing in front of me for one of the sessions. I looked up, I go, oh my God, you're Jay Hoofnagel. <laughs> he looked at me like I fell, I fell off something off a truck or something. But you know, he's like a, been in the, in the liver space a long time. So he's kind of like one of those early legends. I love that. Yeah, Mike. Have, taught me, listeners. Mike has actually taught me the trick of going and sitting in the front row, which I've taken yeah, to do. Don't tell everybody, or we'll have to have a, a reserve sign there for well, us. Actually, yeah. for a lot of these talks, they did have reserved front rows for either VIP donors or speakers. However, without going into the details, Mike and I are now VIP donors. We're not going to tell the story. We're just going to know who we are. And uh, one of the things <laughs> we're we foundation the members event, now. Yeah, we're, and I've been a foundation member forever, but uh, I've been an ASLD member and a foundation donor for the last three years, and now I donated this year as well. So, as patient advocate, yep, a lot of patients presentations there. In fact, the one you're talking about with the overflow room 207 being overflowed was some KOLs talking at a patient track about important research folks might want to know about, if I remember correctly. You can't deny the interest level in so many ways, you know, for the meeting. I was, uh, if it's okay, I was going to talk about something that I think was an outstanding, uh, not, not unless you want to talk about that for a bit, but one of the outstanding new pieces that came out that really accentuates the importance of what patients are doing and the patient voice was Madrigal, who came up with their number one liverfan.com patient service announcement. And it blew me away and everybody that saw it. It was incredible because it demonstrated the real world where we have an opportunity and an obligation really to engage with our communities and to stop liver disease in its tracks if we can, or at the very least inform people so that uh, they don't make things worse with themselves. And they did it in a humorous, but yet informative way. And I, I just loved it. And normally I wouldn't talk about commercials, but that was a really good one. Two or three things. First of all, I feel compelled to note that while Madrigal will be sponsoring tomorrow's episode, which is the group roundup, number one of the, of the event. They are not sponsoring this one and had nothing to do with content nor with the idea that Mike was going to no. talk about that. I didn't know he's going no. to. Just, that's this is just one. me, Mike, yeah. speaking. Yeah. Here, here's number two. Um, everybody who saw that two and a half minute piece 
was pretty well blown away by it. I mean, it's long, but it holds attention. And I thought it was just fantastically well executed. Everybody I know who saw it basically said the same thing you just did. I mentioned that to Chris Freitz from Madrigal as well. But yeah. So, yeah, just kudos to the, those people who put it together. It was just really great. If you had to put your finger on it, what made it special? I have said for since the beginning of my involvement in Naffold Nash, Massold Mash, that it's the people and it's the community. And you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but I think it has to be real. The science is the science and the data will keep getting updated. But at the end of the day, it's the patients that are going to be taking these new medications and the patients that are going to be involved in the clinical studies to investigate new molecules that are, are being developed. And what made this one great is that it was a real person in a real community interacting in a funny way. And and there was a lot of Easter eggs in it too, as, as Chris will tell you, uh, like the person who was Olivia in the, I don't know, it's not a commercial, in the announcement. She had her family, her actual family on the mantle over the fire, as an example. Her socks had liver socks. I don't want to give it all away because people should really see it. But there's two favorite lines though. The one, one is when she's sitting outside hold and on, there's on, like this fight. Spoiler alert, if you want to listen to this commercial and not know that, then don't listen to the next 30 seconds and then tap back and go ahead. (laughs) I'm just just enticing people to so so they had this i won't even tell that much but they had this violin music and i and olivia was quite sad and, and even dejected that uh, nobody was really showing a lot of interest because liver is the silent disease and it does not get a lot of attention and so i'm really happy that in this case madrigal put this together as as really the first broader scale type of announcement and they have i think close to five hundred thousand views already by the way roger Wow. Because I got that from 500,000 views wow, in wow, like wow, a wow, week. Wow. That just shows that it's working. And any other companies that might be listening, you know, even if your drugs are years away or may not even come to market, this is a good time to start raising awareness about liver disease and, and Masseled and MASH to really uh, start to uh, enlighten everyone. That's ironic in that one of the underlying kind of themes of the piece, although it's never said, but it's visualized, is that it's hard to get people to listen, right? And square that with 500,000 views in a week and you go, well... That's interesting. That's interesting. I know exactly what it means, but it's but it's an interesting juxtaposition. It's incredible. So that was really uh, the the patient. And the other thing I'll say too, just one science talk I want to refer to in particular because it does impact patients significantly is retatratide. Hopefully, I said that right because that's as good as I can do. You know, eighty five percent liver fat reduction. I'm sure you'll tell me more details about it. But I have a quote from Arun Sanyal who presented, and he said, uh, "If that's okay for a second, he said between eighty and ninety percent of patients that actually by week 48 at the high dose, 93% of patients lost so much fat in the liver that they were below the cutoff for having fatty liver disease, which is quite dramatic because in the overweight obese population, we first said 70, 75% of them will have excess fat in the liver. Uh, But now we have a treatment that can treat obesity and you can wipe out the liver fat in 90% of these people. I mean, it's been all over the news since then. And it's like when we were there, it was just another presentation. But, you know, since then, there's been sort of reverberations about the potential here. One of the reasons it may have just been another presentation is that retatratide is a triple agonist. And there are two other triple agonists in development. Actually, in terms of in development for fatty liver disease, I think are further along the pike. Uh, If you take a look at the retatratide development plan, it doesn't get to Nash or Nash or Maffaldi until later in the game. It's got a couple other indications ahead of it. Whereas uh, the Altamune product, uh, Pembitidide, and the Merck slash Hanmi product, the name of which I never remember, but something like a phenopegdetide or something like that, they're both further along the development path. In fact, 
Athena and Penvy were both presented, I think, in late breakers or in, if not late breakers, in plenary sessions in Vienna. There are three. And the reason Retatricide is getting so much press is that it's Lily. And, you know, Lily pushes hard. And, and you're right, those numbers are pretty staggering. But by the way, the Penvy and uh, Athena numbers are pretty staggering as well. It's exciting to envision a world where you can do all that with a drug. Now, there are likely to be significant levels of gastric side effects with these agents because each of the component agents have gastric issues, right? I mean, GLP-1s have gastric issues and others will as well. So that's going to have to get managed. It's hard to be perfect. Well, yeah. And, and, and frankly, if only half the patients who could possibly deal with it can tolerate it, that's a huge dent. You know, in a world where we're talking about 1.5 billion people by the year 2050 with diabetes and obesity, probably more than that, an agent like this can be just tremendously helpful. So I agree. And that's why I wanted to just uh, call that one out. I'm going to, it's going to sound like I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm sort of just thinking back at the highlights you know, if we run out of time. But I also want to say, even though it wasn't, well, it was part of, I guess, the whole conference, but Jeff Lazarus, recipient of the 2023 Distinguished Scientific Award, is incredibly gratifying to see that somebody like that would, uh, with all the work that they do, that they would get recognized for that. And so, and a lot of people showed up uh, for the event and that was really, really nice. So I just wanted to call that out as well. So congratulations if you're listening, Jeff. Well, Jeff sometimes listens and he's been on podcasts a few times, as you know, and I think the entire, the, the work that he and Ken Cousy and a few others others have done in the area of clinical care pathway and getting the scale of this disease right. I mean, the first time Jeff was on this podcast, he made the comment that I think I'm quoting accurately here, uh, hepatology can't go this one alone. It's too big. And since then, the steps that he's taken, Ken has taken, and, and, and several others have just made fantastic efforts to reach across specialties and across countries into governments and European Parliament and Congress and all that to, to make sure that this is getting addressed at the scale it needs to be. Now, on the other hand, you have uh, the sorrowful face of Olivia as patients don't want to listen. But going back to your first comment, which is the, the, the magical public service announcement. But I agree. I think I think the work that's been done to broaden the, uh, and, and also, frankly, by Global Liver Institute, for as, sure. as I think probably the most visible of the patient advocates, um, a lot of people are working really hard to broaden the scope of what the, the society he thinks about this disease. I think it's really helpful. Well, so, you know, speaking of Jeff too, um, one of the presentations uh, that I caught that he and Mazinuridine did was the uh, Healthy Livers, Healthy Lives. And it's about the world working together. What they, and I quote here too, a united voice for liver health. And so I love that. I, I think it's great at the Fatty Liver Alliance. We work with other organizations, as you know, like Global Liver Institute and ELPA, the European Liver Patient Association and other organizations. And it is that stronger together piece that is, is very, very, very true in this area, especially. So I'm going to offer you the opportunity to talk about something or not, if you wish. And if you say no, our engineer, Mike Wilson, will take it out and we'll never know that it came up. By the way, for those who don't know, Mike mouthed the word nomenclature, which was the <laughs> word I was about to say. Yeah. Do, do you want to talk about yeah. nomenclature or no? Just a guess. I don't know. Yeah. But I think with, with that with that send up, it had to be nomenclature, didn't it? Yes, that I was going to ask you about nomenclature. Uh, yeah, every single meeting that we go to, we we talk about it, and that's because, as many people have said, change is really difficult. Maru Ranella and I spoke at the, it was actually Jeff's event, and Naeem Al Curry was with us too, and she acknowledged that we have been actually leading on accepting this and and sharing it. I mean, right on our front page, and now it says steatotic liver disease, so that so that people recognize that. Uh, that being said, until the real world is until the FDA 
accepts it and the pharmaceutical companies accept it, it's not going to be a universal change yet. And I think the way it's going to go is NAFLD and MASLD slash MASLD, MASH, NASH, NASH, MASH. And I did I did watch a lot of the talks where people still struggled a little bit with what, what they were saying, like I just did, because in your brain, you're so used to saying one thing and you have to say something else. But I would say for the most part, of course, with everything, you're never, ever going to get 100% of people who agree with anything. It's always going to be the adoption curve. So you'll get the people that are the super adopters and the, and, and the people that are late adopters and the people that are sort of in the middle. So I, I agree with that. Okay. But I do believe that nomenclature took big steps forward this week in terms of yeah. what was real publicly. I had written myself a list of what I thought were the important questions, drawbacks, and benefits back last spring. And to me, the, the obvious, the most obvious drawback was MedALD and the ability to integrate alcohol and non-alcohol in a single frame of what the disease is and how to think about it. I thought that was huge, particularly since it means you can take a look at clinical trials going forward a little bit differently in terms of screen outs for alcohol consumption, number one. Inclusion criteria, right? So that would be number one. The flip side to that is that there will be some challenges communicating this to patients, although I want to come back to that thought in a minute. The, The two pivotal issues I thought for acceptance were, first of all, would it slow up regulatory approval of anything in development? Because if it would slow up approval of a drug a day because of the change in nomenclature, that wouldn't be worth it for the patients. The FDA did not seem to so in the, well, I've heard them speak a few times now at different events, including the Liver Forum. This this one, I think John, George McCarr made the strongest statement I've heard to date, which is that FDA views maffled naffled, nozzled naffled, and mash nash as being interchangeable terms. They're not going right. to tell anybody what to do. They're not going to try to influence anybody's behavior, but internally they're interchangeable. Uh, as indications, they're interchangeable. As patients, they're interchangeable. So that was number one. The second real challenge was, will the patients map identically? You know, the proof of whether it's just a name change or a definition change is if you take a large cohort of patients patients, classify them one way and classify them the other way, are they the same or not? And there at the nomenclature session where you and I sat together in the front row and smiled at everybody, Quentin Anstey and Arun Sanyal, working from the Litmus and Nimble databases, both made the statement that the overmap was 95 to 98%. Yeah. And then Gregory Gores, the editor-in-chief of hepatology, said, we think this issue's closed. We're not even accepting papers on this anymore. And people had thought that for years, there'd be all these papers on the overmap. He said, no, we're done. Let's go on. So if regulatory doesn't see a difference, and if the patients overmap to the point where major publications aren't going to publish on it anymore. It feels to me that the things that could really hurt patients in this process, or hurt the commercial processes, those have been resolved. Now we've got to communicate the names, however we do that. And I don't believe I've ever quoted anybody as much in the span of three days as I quoted Tony Villiotti last week. For those who don't recall, Tony Villiotti, the president of National Knowledge, has been on the podcast a couple of times, another leading patient advocate. In fact, he's accepted Mike as a member of his extended family. Um, <laughs> that's my dad. Yeah, it's, you, it's, you, it's, you, it's right, your massive, yeah. your your mash dad, my if you work, will. My work dad. Yeah, your mash dad. <laughs> yeah. But Tony's comment, which I think is right, is you have a heart attack. It's called a myocardial infarction, but the doctor says to the patient, you had a heart attack. There's really no way to talk about this without saying you have fat I on the I think I said that, and he's quoting me, but anyway. <laughs> well, it's... It, it, it's a father to something. It's in the it's in the family, right? Somewhere it's in the family. family I, yeah. So I will I've, going forward, Mike. I will quote both of you. Uh, just to also show you more of the real world, the metabolic and fatty liver clinic at the University of Chicago Medicine, where Dr. Ranella practices, she's the clinic director, are going to officially be changing their name, and so that was in the news as well to reflect the new nomenclature as well. So I think it's kind of neat that in the real world, even brick and mortar locations are starting to adapt already. Ready, particularly coming from her clinic. Well, although if, if anybody was going to go first on that, you would think it would have been Maru or Phil Newsom, right? Those are the two obvious, since, since, they, since they kind of led the charge. My feeling in the meeting was that there was a broader and higher level of comfort with the nomenclature change than there had been before. In, 
in Vienna, people were really um, befuddled, and some were even a little bit ticked off. I got virtually none out here. Maru also, she I mean, she called out some of the challenges in one of the presentations. They had a presentation that was called Opportunities, Challenges, and Future Directions for Tackling Massled in the U.S. And it was really, that was part of the woven in was the new nomenclature. And so, as you said, the broad dissemination and adoption was one of them, even within GI. Also, the primary care providers, the billing code pieces, and she recognized on a slide the ALF, the FLA with Fatty Liver Lines and Fatty Liver Foundation as having a number of webinars around this topic. And so that was nice to see. And she said, I think her closing comment was ongoing conversation. This is really important. She said publicly, ongoing conversation with patients and patient groups to guide the best approach is what they're going to have moving forward. And so that's nice to acknowledge publicly that patients and patient groups should be included in some of the discussions. So while we're doing this, I want to I want to give a plug for your December 7th event. Oh, thank you so and much. And I'd like you to talk great. about the event a little bit and specifically talk about how you intend to handle nomenclature in the context of that event. Okay, well, I'll, I'll start with the second question, just so I don't forget that you asked me that. So Maru Ranella is talking for 20, 25 minutes about the new nomenclature to primary care physicians. Uh, just because the time of day, it's December 7th, it's like from 5 to 9.30, so it's four and a half hours, uh, CME, CHE uh, uh, credits, uh, US and Canada. Uh, so the EU is dif- more difficult for them to participate because it like starts at 11 o'clock at night. So we have over 20 speakers, including all of the same people. I know there's more experts, but it, we can only fit so many in and so many talks. So we have over 20. So so Maru is talking, obviously that's her her area of expertise that we're going to share. But we have also, you know, Mazin Nerdine and Naeem Al-Khuri, Manal Abdamalik, and really people that are making a difference and sharing their expertise at the meeting like we just went to. I know there's others out there. Ken Kusi also is sharing and we have discussions. GLI is part of it too because we have a one patient discussion part of it too. And so most of the talks are short of like the 15, 20 minutes because there are a lot of topics and it's really important to be able to share the whole aspect about it. So Mike, that's a, that's a primary care focused event. Yeah. But for people who listen to this podcast who either are in primary care or would like to know or think about what they might want to steer their primary care folks towards? How do they find out about this event or what's the website for it? Find out by listening to me right now, but and you and me, but how do, how, what's the website? So if they go to, and, and to preface your question with my answer, we did use the old nomenclature because we had already started this and already publicized it. And we haven't introduced really Mastled and Mash. And that's why Marinella is talking too, but it's NAFLD. I don't have to spell it. Dash Nash PC Summit.ca. So NAFLD dash Nash PC Summit.ca. And it's extremely affordable. Uh, the price is ridiculously low, but we want really want people to attend. This is the second annual one. Last year was really great. I think that we had at the time about 250 people in the process of uh, registration. So it's good. But there's when you have 30, 40,000 primary care physicians, that number seems embarrassingly low. But, you know, you hopefully... you got to start somewhere, the, dude. This podcast will help draw more people to it. But that's the hope. That is the hope. <laughs> and if everybody who listens to this podcast tells 10 friends who are in primary care or touch primary care that they really need to learn more... Mike will be a phenomenal success. He will credit it to us and everybody will feel good. 100%. In fact, I, I got to check to see if you're listed as an educational partner because because uh, now for sure you should be. There were, if, if not, we've got to get that worked out going both ways as we're revising. Now we are in the process of going from Surfing Nash to Surfing Mash and changing the uh, website address and a few other things. So uh, this would be the right time for all that. Anything else you want to share about the meeting? Well, again, just about primary care for a second that we're not going anywhere unless primary care understands uh, what they're looking for for 
who to refer because the world, how many hepatologists are there in, in the US? They brought it up at the meeting. Not nearly, not a, nearly enough. No, not when you talk about a hundred million people and you can't refer everybody. That's just not going to work. We can, we're not going to identify everybody either. So let's find out who needs to be referred um, and using all those non-invasive, amazing tools that are getting better and better all the time, the biomarkers and the uh, liver elasticity test, the, the number of them that are available and refer the ones that are supposed to be available to leave time for the specialist to focus on patients that need it, the help the most. So I have to say that. That's my plug for primary care also and the importance of all of them being uh, involved. I'm going back to Jeff Lazarus first time I was on the podcast. Hepatology can't go it alone. And if you talk to Ken, who will be, will be talking at that event, you know, it does a lot of work with, with, with uh, Tsunami and with surfingmash.com, surfingmash.com. Jeff did a paper and I'm so sorry because I didn't know I was going to be bringing this up because I just thought of it. But Jeff uh, published a paper just in the last couple of weeks that came out. Kamala Lazarus. Yeah, no, Jeff Lazarus about the number of jobs in this area and and uh, published a paper uh, using Indeed, I think, and it was embarrassingly low. And there's no way that people are involved in in Mastled and Mash for the future. We are not ready from a capacity perspective. We have to recruit more people too. So go read that paper. And on the sobering side of that, we have uh, Zobar Yunasi, who's the first personal interview in the series, talking about how he believes actually that the rate of childhood and adolescence Adolescent Neville Nash. Childhood might be not, it's estimated to 10. He thinks it might be as high as 18. Adolescent is estimated to 24. He thinks that might be low also. The, the percentage of patients with this condition is just exploding. Before we run out of time, there's, uh, there's. I'm trying to fit it all in here, that there's uh, uh, one more, uh, it was actually a lunch meeting. We touched on it a little bit before about that, but the digital prescriptions app support, so Naima Curry and Sanel Sanar, uh, we're in Talk about low tech. All they had was a, a, a board. It wasn't even a whiteboard. It was a paper board with a marker. And so it's, it is a different format and the discussions were amazing. And really the idea of giving patients the digital applications they need to be able to monitor and treat their disease and be able to, to do something for themselves. That was brought up a lot as well. Yeah. Because, well, that's got to happen, right? If patients aren't engaged, it doesn't work. You can't be passive and deal with this disease. You got to do something different. You got to change your diet. You got to change your habits but you got to change the way you think about things. Okay, with that, we are at the end of our half hour and it is always a pleasure to talk with you and hang out with you. You know that. I'm bummed that we're out of time. It went so fast today. It's a great question. Mike, we'll see you soon. Thanks very much for having me. See you soon. Bye. We will not have a business section for these interviews. We'll be back in a couple of days with our group review from Liver Meeting 2023 with Laurent Costera and Scott Friedman. It's a fantastic conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you soon on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Have any questions for the surfers? You can send them to surfingnash.com and we will answer on the podcast or the website.